Hey there, church. I am really excited. So this morning we're going to continue with our, our sermon series, The End, uh, taking a walk through the book of Revelations. And um, uh, one of the things that we're going to do is, is, today is, is we're going to see how um, some of these uh, curses and judgments on the earth will unravel. But, but before we do that, I want to go back and, and let's just pick up where we left off. Uh, in, in Revelation 5, John tells the story. He, he sees uh, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, taking the scroll of the right hand of the Father. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals, and, and he takes the scroll. And, and, and John tells us in his word that only he, only the Lamb of God, only Jesus is worthy to take the scrolls. And I think that's so important for us to understand that, that Jesus alone is worthy to, to break the seals and to usher in these end times. And the reason that's so important is because this is something that we were told about. It's, it's kind of the, the, the hard part of the Christian faith, this judgment that's going to come on the world. And we don't like to talk about it a whole lot, but, but John the Baptist told us this about Jesus. Back in Matthew 3, he said, He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with the winnowing fork. He'll clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And you get this picture uh, of a farmer, you know, using the winnowing fork to separate chaff from wheat. The wheat is valuable and gathered, and the chaff is, is garbage, and it's just swept up and burned. And so, make no mistake, what we're about to read is, as Jesus starts to break the seals and unroll the scroll and read these things, is that... God is going to be dealing with evil once and for all. And listen to me, it is going to get ugly. But the reason I want you to think about Jesus as the one breaking the seals and the one opening the scroll and, and reading this is simply because I want you to remember that these tragedies that are about to happen are not from an impersonal God doing an impersonal thing. But these tragedies are from a very personal God who is doing a very intentional, personal thing. He is dealing with evil once and for all, the way that he promised to do so. And he's not doing it for a position of removal, but Jesus is opening the scroll, and he himself suffered the worst possible suffering as he faced the entire wrath of God. So what the world is about to go through, Jesus has been through. This is not impersonal. This is very personal. And so we're going to walk through, and actually we're going to do it at a pretty good clip. Uh, we're going to walk through uh, the seal judgments, and that's going to lead us into the trumpet judgments. And, and by the time we end this morning, we're going to be wrapping up at about um, the midpoint of the tribulation, uh, this halfway point um, that'll have this um, epic battle in heaven. And, and then we'll pick up from mid-tribulation on um, next week when, when we're together. But there's something I want to say as we get going here. Um, I want you to be careful. What we're about to be talking about, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and all of these things in Revelation, they are really exciting to read and learn about for people. Uh, people are really interested in these because they paint this picture of these things that are going to happen, and any mystery is exciting, and we don't really know what's going to happen, but, and we're going to do the best we can. But my word of caution for you as we get into this is don't get bogged down with the details of the wrath of God right? The details matter, but they matter uh, especially as they are a bigger part of 
uh, the story of redemption and God making all things new as he promised to do back in the Garden of Eden. And so uh, we're going to deal with these details the best we can kind of quickly. We're going to read some scripture and share, but I, but I just want you to, to understand that where the real value of this is, is seeing how all of this plays together for us in this redemptive act that God is doing to bring um, newness to the earth and deal with evil once and for all. Okay, but we pick up in Revelation 6. God has, has um, had the scroll in his right hand, uh, the Lamb of God looking as if he'd been slain, but is alive, conquering, takes the scroll, and then in Revelation 6, chapter 1, he breaks the first seal. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll, and then I heard one of the four living beings say with a, a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. And so the first seal um, uh, is epitomized in this white horse with a rider with a bow and a crown who is, is going out to win battles and achieve victory. He's not going out to make war. He's going out to win war. And, and we see this as a picture, uh, if we read through Ezekiel and some other places, that, that there is a point in time at the beginning of the end where we're ushering in here in the tribulation, where um, either right before the rapture or, or right after, where there will be some world powers that will try to make war against Israel. Um, and, and it looks here like um, God, by opening this first seal, is going to send the white horse who will win battles and win victory um, for God with Israel. And so Israel will be victorious um, in these. But we do know this, that it's these battles and the rapture of the church um, that will actually pave the way for the rise of the Antichrist. Um, he will rise to power. We read this in Daniel, right? He will rise to power as a peacemaker and, and he will um, he won't really be a peacemaker, but he'll be playing the part of one, and um, he will come to Israel's defense, and he will um, sign a seven-year treaty with Israel. He'll negotiate and broker that, um, and as part of that, he, he will agree uh, to rebuild the temple, right? Daniel 9 tells us the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven years. But after half this time, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. So this treaty is seven years long. It's only going to last for half of that time. But, but so it's, it's the seal, the first seal that ushers in the defense of Israel, and it allows for the rise of the Antichrist. And then we, we keep going. We see the second seal. The lamb broke the second seal. I heard the living being say, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And so now at this point, um, after the rapture, and this is happening and the Antichrist has risen to power as a peacemaker, war will break out all over the earth. Um, and that is the breaking of the second seal. And then the lamb broke the third seal. I heard the, the third living being say, come. I looked up and saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from uh, among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread for, or, or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. So uh, the third seal is, is the black horse. And it's telling us about this world of famine that's going to be happening. There is turmoil and famine that's a result of, of um, war 
uh, and it's bringing this impending economic crisis that's driving the price of food up. Food is scarce, um, and, and as a result, uh, we, we go directly in to the fourth seal. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. His name was Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. And so this, this fourth rider is death, and the grave comes with him, right? And, and um, they have authority basically to end a quarter of the population of the world. You know, you think about all of the crises we've had, all of the tragedies, all of the tsunamis and earthquakes and floods and droughts and starvation and pestilence and diseases and all of these things, and they're bad. But in one fail swoop here, due to the war that's, that's been waged and the famine and the economic crisis, um, the, the pale green horse whose rider is death is going to have power to, to destroy, to kill one quarter of the world's population through war, famine, disease, um, and, and wild beasts that will, that will rage. And we keep going. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us. Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, uh, who were to be martyred, had joined them. And so this is a picture, um, this fifth seal. We're done with the horsemen, but now we, we just are seeing other events unfold as the seals are broken. And in this event, we see that the martyrs, those who have died for their faith, cry out to God. How long do we have to let this injustice go? How long do we have to continue to suffer? And, and they're given a white robe, and, and, and God's answer is, is um, I mean, he's God, and so his answer is, is authoritative and ultimately soothing, but, but his answer is this, and it's kind of scary. He says, not yet. you got to wait a little while longer until the full number of those that are to be martyred have joined us. And, and that tells us that there is worldwide martyrdom that is going to be happening at this time. Right As disease happens, as, as these increases rise, as Christians on the earth at this time, and remember, the church has been raptured, so these are Christians that are coming to faith. As Christians on the earth um, have come to faith and, and they continue to, to preach the, the, the gospel of Christ and the grace of God in these terrible times, the world will turn on them and, and they will be judged harshly and they will be um, killed and martyred for their faith. And so we know this going in, that this is not going to be good for Christians on the earth. And that's the fifth seal. And then the sixth is this. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became, the sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. And so we, we start to get this picture, right? 
that uh, what, what John is seeing, he's describing, it, it's like a, um, it, it's like a, a, a solar eclipse, right? Where the sun is darkened inexplicably. Uh, and the moon is, is almost a lunar eclipse at the same time where the moon becomes blood red. And, and, and um, he, he even says that there's stars that fall from the sky. And, and, and let's take a minute and pause here because there's something that we have to understand. Um, one of the things that's true, right, is that as people read Revelation, oftentimes the language sounds so fanciful. It sounds so far out that what people do is they assume that it's not really meant to be taken literally, that it's something that's supposed to be figurative, right? That we don't take it seriously, like these things are really going to happen, um, right? But what we have to remember is, is that what, what John is doing is he is literally witnessing these events. He's seeing them unfold. But you have to understand that what he's also doing is he's having to, to describe them to us figuratively because he doesn't necessarily understand everything that he's seeing, right? So for example, if we go back to the sixth seal, it says that stars fell to the earth, right? And we know like people would look at that and say, well, right there, we know it's not meant to be literal because if a star hit the earth, the earth would be done. It would implode. It would be gone. Like it would burn up. It would, it would be over. And so they say, well, if, if stars are falling to the earth, this can't really be something we're supposed to take seriously or, or take literally. And, and, and here's what I'm going to say. is like John is literally witnessing these events, but what he's doing is he's figuratively describing them to us. Right? That makes sense. Go back to chapter 4 when John saw Christ, or I'm sorry, he saw, he saw God the Father, the holy, almighty God sitting on the throne. God can't be described with human words. You know, John couldn't adequately say, this is what I saw when I saw God. So he did the best he could to metaphorically explain. He said, well, he's like Jasper in Carnelian, right? Well, he's not saying God is literally a big gemstone, right? But he's using the best language he has to tell us what's happening. So, so when, when he says stars are falling to the sky or, or the sun turns dark, he's talking about an eclipse. The moon is blood red. No, that, where there's an eclipse that's happening. Stars are falling. I mean, what is, are those meteors? I don't know. Are they satellites? I mean, John would have no idea what satellites are. But are they satellites in orbit crashing down to Earth? I don't know. And frankly, the detail doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we know that God is bringing judgment at this point in time by breaking the seals and that these things are going to happen. And the word tells us that when they happen, all of the kings and rulers and generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and every free person on the earth at that time cowers in fear of God's might. So whatever it is, that God's doing in this time. It causes people on the earth to cower in fear because they know their lives are forfeit and they're scared. But then, then John gives us this interlude, right? He says, oh, by the way, right? Not everybody is in danger. And, and he starts to tell us this story uh, about how there are um, people that have been sealed by God and set apart by God to do his work. Here's what we see in, in chapter seven. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we've placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed 
from the tribes of Israel. And, and so, so what John's seeing here is that even in this time of turmoil and a quarter of the population dying and all of the hunger and famine and disease and all of the pestilence and all of this that's going on, things falling from the sky, I mean, it's bad, right? But God has specifically sealed 144,000 Israelites from the tribes of, 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 of Israel, of the 12 tribes, 12,000 apiece, he sealed them to be his witnesses and his evangelists during this time, right? And that just goes to show us that the work of the gospel is still going to be happening during this time. In fact, we read, after this, John says, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, right? 144,000 he could count. But this is a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And so John asks, who are they? And one of the elders tells him this, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. Right? And so even in the midst of this, God has sealed his witnesses, 144,000 that are doing the work of the gospel, preaching to Jews and Gentiles alike, bringing them into the faith. And yes, they'll die during the tribulation, but because they've surrendered to Christ and followed him with their lives, he will protect them for all eternity and they will be with him in heaven. And so don't, don't sleep on that, right? Even as God is pouring wrath on the world, he is still wooing people and drawing people to himself. And there's a word there for us too, no matter how bad it gets here, no matter how much it seems like everything is stacked against us, God is still actively wooing people. And if you're feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit, that means God is actively wooing you to Christ. He wants you to come to know him personally. He desires for that. He, he sent his one and only son to die for it. Remember, this is not an impersonal God doing an impersonal thing. This is a personal God. Yes, judging evil with finality and pouring his wrath out on the world, but still calling and drawing people to himself. But we go back to the seals then, and now we, we see the seventh seal. When the lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about a half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. And so we see that what happens is the breaking of the seventh seal, which you might think, oh, that's the end of judgment. No, 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 no. Breaking of the seventh seal creates this shift to now seven trumpets, seven angels, each with its own trumpet ready to blow. And we know these then as the trumpet judgment. So the seal judgments, when they're over, have ushered in the seven trumpet judgments. And they kind of follow the same pattern as... as um, as the seal judgments, one at a time, the angels will blow a trumpet and tragedy will come on the earth. And it starts with trumpet number one. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. One third of the trees were burned and the green grass was burned, all of it. And so we see this, that, that ecological disaster with the first trumpet has come on the earth. A third of the trees gone, all of the grass gone. A third of the world is on fire. 
Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood, one third of all things living in the sea died, and one third of all the ships of the sea were destroyed. And, and so we're, we're looking at oceans here, and we see that a great mountain of fire, I don't know what that is. Is that a meteorite? Is, is it um, something more significant? Is it a literal great mountain of fire? I, I, I don't know, right? Uh, it doesn't matter because the result of that, whatever it is, is that a third of the ships are destroyed, um, the fish, the oceans, more of our food and supply chain is decimated. We keep going. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness. It made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. And so first we have the oceans, and, and now God's judgment falling on the earth is, is, is to decimate our fresh water supply. Um, a great star falls from the sky. Again, I don't know what that is. Um, but I, I, I know that whatever it is, it poisons rivers and streams, fresh water, um, and it makes it bitter. And, and people are so thirsty that they drink the bitter water anyway, and, and it kills them. Um, and so you see that God is just attacking all of these things in the world in, in his way of, of crippling and, and dealing with evil once and for all. And, and then, you know, again, there's something that happens. Um, well, well, we'll get to that. He, he blows the fourth trumpet. Uh, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, one-third of the moon, one-third of the stars became dark, and one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night. And so basically, we, as we read this, we're not sure exactly what this means or how it plays out, but, but that one-third of the sun is made dark permanently. One-third of the moon and the stars stop shining somehow and in some way. And so consequently, a third of the days and night, like, it's darker, it's dreary, it's full of dread. Um, and this has happened. And then John has this picture. Uh, he sees an angel flying, or I'm sorry, an eagle flying through the sky. And the eagle um, announces that, that the next three trumpets are also known as the three terrors. So basically saying, if you thought this was bad, these next three trumpets are going to bring terrors onto the world. Okay. And the fifth trumpet, the first terror, um, is, it, it, this is, this is kind of a, a weird thing for us to grasp, but let's read. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw the star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. First things first there, he says, I saw a star fall, and the star, he was given a key to the shafts in the bottomless pit. Almost like this star now is in reference to an angel that's falling. And he says, I, he had the key. Um, to the bottomless pit, and he goes and, and he opens the bottomless pit, and, and, and there were locusts, right, came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told, don't harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, these locusts were told they can't kill. They could only torment and make people wish they were dead, um, and we're told that, that this doesn't cause death, but in, uh, unbearable pain, and that this lasts for five months, right? And also that, that this is a judgment specifically for those that have not been sealed by God. And that tells us that somehow when, when, when we come to God, we are sealed by God. Now, there's some people that will tell you this is a literal seal um, that you could see placed on believers at this time. 
um, could very well be this is the sealing of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Um, that detail really isn't important here. Um, we, we know that the Holy Spirit lives in believers, dwells in us, and seals us. Um, and in this case, that sealing protects God's people from this, this judgment. And if you read through um, 9, 7 through, through 11, you kind of get a picture of what these locust, scorpion things look like. And again, um, you know, I, I, I even, you know, um, former pastor of mine, Pastor Jerry, used to describe these as, as um, you know, maybe even helicopters. As you read through uh, the list uh, of the description that John gives of these scorpion locust things, you could see maybe he is describing a helicopter, and how would he know what a helicopter looks like? Um, I don't know. I don't know if this is John literally seeing little insects um, or if he's seeing something else and just describing it the best he can. And again, the point is it doesn't matter for this. What matters for us is to know that God is actively bringing judgment, and this one is to torment those who have not come to faith. And then we see the sixth trumpet, the second tear. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stand in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one third of all the people on earth. I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. And so at this point, we see that, that the sixth trumpet, the second tear, will actually claim a third of the earth's population. Uh, and, and the way that John describes it is these angels that have been bound and, and they were created just for this moment are released and they, they bring this terror onto the world. And John describes them as riding horses that breathe burning fire and smoke and burning sulfur. And that it's the smoke and sulfur and fire that they breathe that actually kills a third of the world's population. Again, literal, figurative. Like he's literally seeing something that he is trying his best to figuratively describe to us. Are these actual horses um, that are breathing sulfur and fire? Maybe. Maybe they are. Um, is this some kind of chemical warfare or nuclear war or something that's ending a third of the world's population at this time? Possibly. Um, but we know that God's in control of this, and, and it's His ordination that this judgment is coming on the world at this time. And, and, and so we're getting close to the midpoint um, here. We've gone through seven of the seals. The seventh seal ushered in the seven trumpets. We've gone through six of them. And, and now at this point in, in what John's telling us, he takes a little bit of, uh, of, of a break, a caveat. First of all, at the end of ver chapter 9, he says this, But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or of their sexual morality or thefts. And so, so John, after he shares the seven seals and the six plagues, he tells us about the witnesses and the martyrs. He says, oh, and by the way, those that are still living, right? Those that are still living that aren't sealed by God, they still refuse to repent. They stubbornly refuse to follow God. And then John 
takes a, a break here and he introduces us to a couple of characters. He introduces us to two witnesses or prophets. Okay, and, and um, he's just now telling us about them in Revelation chapter 11, but they've been on the world stage since the beginning of the tribulation. And, uh, and here's what, what God says about them. I will give power to my two witnesses and they will be clothed in burlap, right? Uh, and they will prophesy during these 1260 days. That's the first three and a half years of the tribulation. They'll prophesy. Um, these two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. So we get this picture that we have two um, witnesses or prophets of God. They're clothed in burlap, right? Like the prophets of old, uh, kind of rejecting the world um, pleasures and, and the things that the world offers. And they are in Israel and they are preaching the gospel. They are preaching about God, about Christ, and about salvation and repentance and about the end of all things. For three and a half years, they stand in the streets of Jerusalem and they preach this message. Right? We keep going. If anyone tried to harm them, and remember, everyone will try to harm them because there's worldwide martyrdom happening at this point. Everyone is trying to harm them. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. So somehow these, these two prophets have the ability to withstand any attack and, and to put down their enemies. That's how anyone who tries to harm them must die. And these witnesses have the power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. So that means for three and a half years on top of the war and the fire and the droughts and all of this, we've had three and a half years of no rain, right? Three and a half years, these prophets have shut the sky. And now there's going to be a shift because remember at three and a half years, that marks, um, that marks this moment where the tribulation is half over Right? And we know from reading Daniel and reading um, some other places, uh, Thessalonians, that the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, the one who has come on the scene as a peacemaker, he's not really a peacemaker, but on the surface he pretends to be. Um, at three and a half years, something is going to shift, and he is going to go from being a supposed peacemaker to outright making war against God's people against Christians and all of Israel, right? He's been doing that covertly, but now at three and a half years, something is going to happen and he's going to start doing that overtly, purposely, loudly, um, chasing after them and, and trying to destroy God's people, um, Christians and Israel during this time, right? And, and so John gives us a glimpse of this. He says, when they complete their testimony, when the two witnesses complete their testimony, that means they're done. They've done their work. Well done, good and faithful servants. They've done what God put them um, on the earth to do. The beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit, that's the Antichrist, will declare war against them and he will conquer them and kill them. For three and a half years, nobody could kill them. But now when they're done with their message, the beast is allowed to kill them. Um, and he conquers them and he kills them and their bodies lie in the main street of Jerusalem for three and a half days, right? Nobody touches them. They lay there for three and a half days, rotting and stinking. 
All peoples, tribes, languages, and nations stare at the bodies. That's unfathomable. How would everybody in the world stare at these bodies in Jerusalem? Well, I mean, that would have been impossible in John's time, but now think about it. We've got cell phones. Everybody's got a phone or a tablet. We've got internet. We've got um, 24-hour news, live streaming, videos. Like, there's no way that people would miss this. All peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them. But after three and a half days, God will breathe life into them, and they'll stand up. Terror will strike all who are staring at them. And then a loud voice from heaven will call and say, Come up here, and the prophets will rise to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watch, right? And, and this tells us about this great shift that's happening at this midpoint, right? Um, where, where the Antichrist no longer is pretending to be peacemaker, but is making war against God and his people. He said he was going to have a treaty and protect them, but no, he's, he's not. Um, we'll read next week about how that unfolds more, but before it unfolds on earth, here's the deal. It, it unfolds in heaven. Right? This, everything that happens on earth during this time is already decided in heaven. It's the breaking of the seals that caused these things to happen. It's the blowing of the trumpets that caused these things to happen. Why is the Antichrist shifting from covert um, destruction to overt destruction? Well, because of something that happens in heaven. And this is the last thing we're going to see uh, this morning as we unpack this. We're going to be... Um, oh, I'm sorry. I guess I should tell you this. Then the final trumpet, uh, the, the final terror... Um, actually is, is something that ushers in um, a set of seven more judgments. So the seventh trumpet um, says, oh, just like the seventh seal ushered in the seven trumpets, the seventh trumpet ushers in uh, what we know as the seven bold judgments or vile judgments. And that's where God will pour his wrath out on the world in these final three and a half years. But, but we get to Revelation 12 and, and John says, um, it's in the heavens that I see this thing. Um, and, and he says, I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. And it's this event in heaven in Revelation 12 that shifts what's going to be happening on earth the last three and a half years um, of, of the tribulation. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And we know this woman is Israel, right? She is representative of Israel. She's um, clothed in brilliance, right? Like with sun and moon beneath her feet. And this is a picture. She is God's chosen people, right? He chose them, not because they were great, but he chose them to demonstrate his own glory and to bless the peoples of the earth. And the 12 stars, right? The, the, the 12 stars on her head, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And this woman is pregnant. And she's not newly pregnant, but she is at the climax of her pregnancy. She's in agony of giving birth. And then John says, I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and with seven crowns on his heads. And we know this dragon to be Satan himself. John says, I saw the woman, I saw Israel giving birth, and then I saw the dragon. Seven heads with seven crowns on those heads, um, signifying the fullness of evil found 
um, in, in Satan. And, and the ten horns signifying the, the ten nations that he will rule over um, at the end times. Um, and here's what happens. The dragon's tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Um, his tail sweeping a third of the stars. That's, it's this idea, again, of the angels that chose to rebel with Satan. The third of the angels that are on his side. We would know them as demons, fallen angels. And he stands in front of the woman as she's about to give birth, and his desire is to devour the baby. And the baby we know is the Messiah, is Jesus Christ. She gave birth to a son, and he was to rule all nations with an iron rod, right? But Satan wants to devour him, right? And for a while, it looks like Satan is going to do that as he is on earth and Satan is tormenting and he's inciting riots against him and he's inciting people to rebel against him and to reject him, um, even to the point of inciting people to, to demand his crucifixion that leads to his death and his burial. And Satan, in that moment, the dragon probably feels like he has swallowed the sun. But her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God to his throne. There's this picture of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus conquering death, defeating the dragon. And then we see this defeat play out, right? There was a war in heaven, right? There, there, there is going to be this massive war in heaven where Michael and his angels, um, on behalf of God, the armies of God, will fight against Satan and his angels. And of course, it's no contest. The dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. The great dragon, the serpent, uh, the ancient one called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. At this point in time, we wonder, what's the shift that happens at this point? Well, the shift that happens is that Satan is now expelled and his demons are expelled from heaven, never to return. Right? He was already fallen, but, but he still had access to the heavenlies. Right? We read about that in Job when Satan goes before God and talks to God about Job. Right? Um, we know that Satan is the accuser. He's constantly telling God about the mistakes that, that Christians have made. Right? And Jesus is there saying, no, God, don't worry about that. I paid for those sins. But Satan is always accusing the brethren. But at this point in the future, Satan will be cast out of heaven. His angels will be cast out of heaven with him, and he will be barred from returning. And at that point in time, he will um, unleash his fury on the earth. And this is the song. I, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heaven. It has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. He accused them before our God day and night and they have defeated him, not because they were strong, but they defeated him by the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their lives um, so much that they were afraid to die for their faith. And so they've defeated the enemy and he's been thrown out of heaven. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But and this is where we'll pick up next week. Terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that his time is little.
And, and so here's what I want to end on today. Just this idea that, you know what? He knows that his time is little. And so he is wreaking havoc. And he will in the future, but you know what? He is now too. He knows that Christ is risen from the dead. He knows that he is defeated. And here's what I want you to know about that. When you're feeling harassed and hard-pressed by the enemy, I want you to remember that, that yes, he's a formidable foe, right? He is wise and he's sneaky and he's a snake and he's a liar and he's duplicitous and deceptive and he will, he will worm his way in and he will try to wreak havoc. He is formidable. But ultimately, Christian, he is defeated. When he accuses you before God, you have a strong and firm foundation. You have Christ who ever bleeds, or I'm sorry, who ever lives and bleeds. That's this song, right? Um, he, he ever lives. He, he, he pleads for you. He, he bled. He died for you. And, and he pleads for you. And, and he makes mediation for you. Listen, Satan is formidable, but he is ultimately defeated, Christian. And so when you feel hard-pressed, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that this battle in heaven has sealed it, that he tried to snatch and, and eat the child, but the child conquered and was resurrected, not by our power, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are free. And so when you're hard-pressed, you trust the blood of Jesus, you revel in it because your foe is ultimately defeated and he knows it. I just ask you to pray with me, and, and I can't wait to unpack the, net, the, the rest of the tribulation with you next week, but, but let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious and kind, and we just love you so much. I, I pray for those that are, that are kind of tracking along through this series with us, that, that as they see these things that God is doing, that it'll just be one more reminder that he is in control and that our foe, while formidable, is ultimately defeated. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Hey, you guys have a great week. I can't wait to unpack the rest of this with you next Sunday.